It's a blowout, eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out the real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone, home run, and a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome in to Flippin' Bats with your host, me, Ben Verlander. I am so excited for this show. It is all about flipping bats, swinging 3-0. It's the loose side of baseball, which is really important to me. The loose side of baseball, having fun, showcasing the game the, the way that I see it, the way that I love. It, it is the most beautiful game in the entire world, and I want people to see it from my perspective. And I am so excited to have this show and to bring you guys along with me. And I wanted to get started with some storylines heading into this coming season. I have five storylines, in no particular order, but five storylines that, that I'm looking forward to the most. Um, one would be Ronald Acuna going 40-40 this year. Uh, 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases. That hasn't been done since 2006. Uh, Alfonso Soriano did it in 2006, and it's only been done four times in the history of the game. So I'm very excited. He has talked about it in the past that he wants this. Uh, I really think there's a chance this year that he could be the fifth player ever to do it. Next would be the New York Mets. The Mets have done it in the past. They've gone for it. I really think they did it differently this year. Steve Cohen came in as the owner, and he's made it very clear to the fans and to the players that he wants to win. He brought in Francisco Lindor. He brought in Trevor May in the bullpen. He brought in James McCann to catch. He brought in Carlos Carrasco, part of, uh, part of the trade with Lindor. This team's going for it, but it really feels different to me. It feels different than, than it has in the past. And I'm really excited to see if this team is the team that can get over that hump that the Mets have sort of faced in the past. And next is Shohei Otani. <laughs> I am all in on Shohei Otani. I feel like he is the most exciting player in the league, the most intriguing player in the league. I mean, the guy rakes, one, he hits bombs. This spring training, he's been absolutely destroying baseballs, but I'm also really excited to see him on the mound. I mean, he had, a, he had the injury. Um, he really, he, he went through surgery. He came back last year and threw in two games and it just, it didn't go great. He clearly wasn't himself. But by all accounts, he's himself this year. He's throwing 100. Um, and he actually pitched a couple times in spring training and led off the game as the pitcher, which I, I don't know, I don't think that's ever happened. I, I'm super excited to see if we can get a pitcher leading off in an American League game. I mean, how cool would that be? Next, I'm excited for this Blue Jays team this year. They're really going to compete in the AL East. They added George Springer in the outfield, who was the best free agent to add uh, in the outfield. They added Marcus Simeon, who I think is the most underrated pickup of the offseason, of anybody. It's really not talked about, but in 2019, Marcus Simeon finished third in the MVP voting. He's still really, really good and a great addition for this team. But let's not forget who this team is built around. It's, it's this young core. It's Vlad Guerrero Jr. It's Kevin Biggio. It's Bo Bichette. That is the core of this team, those young guys. And I think this is the year they finally said, we're going for it. And they've added these veterans to, to bring around them. And I'm really excited to watch that team. And, and next is the, the battle in the NL West, the Dodgers, the Padres. The Dodgers have been dominating this division for years now. And don't get me wrong, they're still going to dominate. They're very, very good. But the Padres, the Padres are now in this division. The Padres might be... The, the second best team in the league, and they're both in the NL West, and I am super excited for that battle and to watch those guys duke it out for a bunch of games this year. And another thing I'm looking forward to is, is watching the Rays this year. Coming off of that World Series appearance, you know, they, they've kept a lot of that team, but their biggest loss is Blake Snell at the top of that rotation. As I just mentioned, he, he's with the Padres, so that's going to be a big loss for them. But what I think is going to happen is they're going to have Tyler Glass now step in. He was just named the opening day starter and I think he could really fill the void there for the Rays. And with that said, I would like to welcome in our first guest to the show, opening day starter for the Tampa Bay Rays, the best hair in the league just coming off of a World Series. I would like to welcome in Tyler Glass now. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, just 
normal spring training time, you know how it goes. So yeah, excited to be on here. So one thing I'm going to ask everybody at the beginning, because baseball is so unique to me in the, in the way that people always start in the minor leagues. You don't, you don't go straight to the NFL or straight to the NBA. You always start in the minor leagues. So everybody, whether you're the first pick or the last pick, has that experience. What is one thing for you personally that you learned in your minor league experience that you will take with you forever and still hold with you? Oh, I mean, that's a good question. I'd say as cliche as it sounds, um, like trying to live in the moment as much as possible. I think as a minor league player, everybody has that kind of that, that thing in them where they play like GM, like internal GM. And you ch- there's so many things out of your control. And you try to figure out like when you'll get called up or like at what level you'll be here and blah, blah, blah. So I think what I've learned and what I take away from the game the most is probably just taking care of what you can control first and then whatever the outcome is, just kind of don't worry about it. Like kind of hit your, I don't know, cross your T's and dot your I's and then just don't let the, don't sweat the other stuff. So I'd say that for sure. Do you have like a favorite, uh, like favorite story as well? Ooh, favorite minor league story, man. I don't know. There's plenty of them to go. There's so many. I would say, I don't know how much information I can do on on this specifically, <laughs> but there, I'm trying to think of some some good PG stories. I don't know. Honestly, I would say like in a whole, it's a boring answer, but like just the people you meet and the relationships you have, and like yeah. you get to really understand people when it's a six month season and everyone's like has their ups and their downs, and I think you like expedite a relationship with people much quicker. Like I got to know probably five years worth of like information in like a six month season with most of my teammates. So I think. I can't give you like a specific example. I can't, I'm like blanking right now, but I would say it's just like the, the unique experience of like being in a clubhouse with people and like seeing them at their best and seeing them at their worst. Yeah. And like, you know, like you see everything in minor league season. So probably just that as a whole. So you were drafted in the fifth round by the pirates out of high school. What were you like? Were you just a stud in high school? Were you like six, eight throwing a hundred in high school? Like were people coming back to watch you? No, man, I, I didn't suck. It's not the right word, but like, I, I'd say like my trajectory is like a little kid. I was huge. I was like a testosterone baby. I was a ginormous person. And then somewhere between like eighth grade and like 11th grade, I just, I, something I was like, just prepubescent to say the least. I was just like a weirdo. And then senior year, <laughs> I like kind of, I had like a velo jump. I was nothing crazy though. Like not a huge draft prospect or anything, but my senior year, I ended up doing really well and ended up getting like pro looks. But for me, I'd say for like the majority, like the bulk of my like development years, I was never really good. And I think that kind of helped me. I think when I did maybe like face some adversity, especially early on, I think it was nice to kind of remember that I wasn't always like the best. So I think it helped me understand like failure a bit more, but I I wouldn't say like in high school at all, I was like a highly touted prospect or anything like that. It kind of came, I'd say later on in, in pro ball. So your high school team also, you were a teammate with Trevor Bauer. How was this team? Like, were you guys dominant? We, so actually, Trevor is extremely intelligent, as like a lot of people know. And I was a freshman, and he was a junior. And he ended up graduating his junior year. So he skipped his senior year, and I was a freshman, and he was on varsity. So like, I really only kind of knew him in passing. And I can actually vividly remember one day we were in the bullpen, and like, even freshman year, Trevor, everyone knew Trevor was really good. And he kind of sat down and like talked to a lot of the freshmen and was really personable. And I think that's when I was like, all right, I, I, I really like this guy. And I think as we both kind of blossomed in pro ball and worked our way up, I think we, we would like kind of reach out to one another and like, I'll talk to him here and there. And he's just kind of a guy like we're, I wouldn't say we like talk every day or anything, but I think we both are just kind of watching each other from afar. And I think we do have that like hometown camaraderie. So I really just wish him the best every time I, I kind of watch him pitch. And it's been it's worked out for him, obviously, so it's nice to see. <laughs> yeah, he just, he just got paid. He's doing all right. Well, so he, yeah, yeah. he right. in the <laughs> eyes of, of many, is a very, he's, a, he's an interesting, interesting guy. Was he, was he interesting in, in high school, or was he just like that guy that's like smarter than everybody? It's different. So I didn't know him like on like a really personable level or like a personal level in high school, but I'd say it's the same. Like, I think so much of it is like, you either hate Trevor or you love Trevor. And I'm one of those people who loves him. Like, it's just, (laughs) I think it's, he's very much okay with being himself. And I think that's 
strange for some people. Like he, he'll speak his mind. And like, I think that's what I like most about him. Like it's very refreshing. And I think, especially nowadays, like you, you don't want to offend anyone and blah, 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 but like he will kind of tell you what he's thinking. And I, I, I enjoy it personally. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, uh, you were drafted in the fifth round out of high school. Obviously it's all worked out, but was there ever a time when you were thinking to yourself, oh man, I, I should have gone to college. Um, or I wish I had gone to college. Was there ever a time? I would, yeah. I mean, nothing like serious enough to consider, but there's always those times when you have like four bad starts in a row and you're like, oh, what else can I do? Should I go to trade school? Like what? I don't have a college degree. <laughs> like you, you consider all the things you can do that. Um, it's never serious enough for me to like walk away from it. I think, I don't know. Baseball is very much like ingrained into me like most pro ball guys i just think it's like i have such an obsessive nature about baseball to where like there was never it was gonna be like hit or miss really it was i i had all my cards on on that like on baseball but i definitely think when times get tough you, you think about other things you can do i've had those moments for sure and i think coming out of high school not having college education i was a bit more limited than most but like you said i, I think it ended up working out so i'm glad i don't have to think about it anymore yeah. Yeah, it did. All right, so when you debuted in 2018, you came up with the, the Pirates, and it was a little bit of a struggle for you that year. And then you were traded, and you were in the Chris Archer trade that brought you to Tampa Bay, where you currently are. What, what was it with, with Tampa that, like, clicked for you? Was it, that, was it that coaching staff? Was it just you being older and more established? What was it? I think it's probably, like, a, a little bit of everything. I think so much of it was like a change of scenery was really important for me at the time. I think like once you become accustomed to not pitching well for an extended period of time, I think you can kind of dig yourself into a hole. Um, but I think the biggest thing that helped me was going to the Rays and talking to Kyle and kind of their whole philosophy of pitching was like, you already have good stuff. Like you don't need to make it harder on yourself to try and kick corners and throw strikes. Like let's just set up down the middle and just out stuff guys. And I think that kind of blossomed the confidence to know that my stuff was good. So it was kind of like a, it helped me like believe in myself. And then as you kind of get confidence and you realize like your stuff is good enough for the big leagues, then you can kind of start to kind of play around with corners. And I just think so much of it for me was like, I was just at such a lull with my confidence and like I got traded over in the, the day I got traded, they called me and told me I was starting the following day. So it was just like this, confidence they had they're like we know you're a really good starter we're going to give you another shot and I think ever since then like the confidence they've showed and uh like the mentality they bring to pitching it just helped me like kind of just so many different things but I, I'd say probably those two mixed together is what helped me the most so the day you know that next day they said you know you're starting you're on the bump get ready go out there give us you know a bunch of innings but Tampa is known to for the opener like that's kind of their thing um has that ever been a factor for you um you know is it weird knowing that's the organization is there has it kind of been a learning curve knowing all right you know like i could get i could come in at any time i could get taken out at any time yeah i think like for me i've actually never like done the opener or anything like that with tampa okay. but i think obviously like when they first did it it was spread around the league like i understood what it was and at the time i mean if they wanted me to open like i was in pittsburgh thrown in 13 to one games in the 13th inning. Like I really didn't care. I was like, I'll do whatever you need. And they had enough confidence in me to like go out and start. So I think that was just the most meaningful thing. But like I said, I would have done whatever. I would have pinch ran. I would have done anything. Um, so this season, I personally am so pumped up for you this season. I think big things coming this year. One question I have for you, you added a new pitch, the slutter, slider, cutter, how did, how did that come about? I, th I mean, out of like necessity, I think once you <laughs> fail enough with two pitches, not really fail enough, but like I really had two pitches and like you guys, you know, like sometimes it's not going to work out. Like you, sometimes you're going to have a heater. Sometimes you're going to have your curveball. Sometimes you're going to have both. Sometimes you're going to have neither. And it was just a limited amount of options for me. And when I had one pitch that was off, it was everyone in the ballpark knew it was coming. It was just, you could sell out to heaters and it doesn't really how doesn't matter how fast you throw in the big leagues like guys are gonna hit your heater it doesn't matter so I think it was just out of set like I needed to have a third pitch and I had enough confidence to know like if me and Kyle our pitching coach had enough time to work together I know I could establish something like a, a decent enough third offering and I once I, I flew down early to Florida 
started working on it with him in like our lab with like our edutronic yeah. and all that stuff and it only really took a matter of like a couple of weeks and then I was throwing it in games and like feeling really comfortable with it. And now it's at to the point where it's kind of like a go-to strike pitch for me. So I think it's just going to open up a, it's just going to make pitching for me like a lot easier. And I think the days I'm not on, I'm, I'm not going to have such a terrible time on the mound, I guess. I don't know it's the easiest way to put it, but it's just, it's nice to have more weapons and having another pitch available. It just makes it so much easier. And I've really only had a couple starts with it, but it's, it's made it a whole lot easier for me. Well, just from a, a hitter's standpoint, being in the box, there was always, for me, like your curveball, it's not, you know, it's not 12-6, but it's more up to down. And your fastball, obviously, is, is you know, straight. It, it's always like having that pitch that goes away from right-handed batters is what I think is so exciting for me and that I'm excited for. I, I think you're going to have a huge year. And I really think having that pitch that goes away from righties is gonna is gonna be huge. Like you haven't you haven't had that. I mean, you're going out there and dominating sometimes with with two pitches. And and like you said, from the pitcher's standpoint, you know sometimes sometimes nothing's working, sometimes everything's working. But having that pitch that now can go away from righties, I I think is gonna be huge. Yeah, I think that that was definitely something we considered like while trying to design a new pitch. And I think it's just another thing, because for me, sometimes trying to drop my curveball in for strikes is hard because there's so much depth on it. So it's just something that like can kind of be in the middle of my heater and my curveball. So it's uh, it's a weapon against righties, and it's also something I can throw for a strike. Speaking of your curveball, you, you have one of the best curveballs in the game. And, I, you know, I've, I've kind of watched you talk about it. You you throw it a little differently, right? You, you kind of grip it different than than most people grip a curveball. Yeah, I think for me, like, I wanted to be on the laces. So I think most of the time, like, even growing up in high school and whatnot, like, I threw a pretty traditional curveball, just kind of like a 12-6, like, your hand is basically parallel with the seam. Mm -hmm. um, but I have such big hands that I think I can, I, like, get so much more length than my fingers on it. So I can kind of cheat and, like, use the seam to get a little bit more spin. And I think I get, like, two to 400 more RPMs now just from, like, trying to use the seam to have something to grip. So... I think it was kind of like a trial and error thing, but um, yeah, I think like it has helped me a lot. The I think I made that change like two years ago, and ever since then, it it definitely had like a little bit more bite to it at the end. Has that been the the Rays organization? I know they're you know analytics, um, they're really into numbers. So is that something you said two years ago? Was that when you came over to the Rays and started getting in that lab that you started picking up on? Okay, this is what I'm throwing. This is the number I'm getting. This is the RPM I'm getting on my curveball. When I do this, is that kind of what, what opened it up to you as being in Tampa? Yeah, I would say like I changed my grip before I got to Tampa, but like I think it was like there's, it was a different way to understand it, I'd say. Like I really, I like the analytics stuff now just because mm -hmm. it's it's like, concrete evidence to why your stuff is good or why your stuff is bad as opposed to maybe like some old school mentalities would be like well you're not succeeding here let's just try this because it worked for this guy like you actually have concrete data now to tell you this is why you're like you can just tailor around you just waste so much less time like you, you have a lot more data to show what you need to do and like how to get better and it's not just like this big guessing game anymore yeah so everybody everybody remembers their first time. What was your first time throwing 100 miles an hour? <laughs> Ooh, high A. I was in Port St. Lucie. Uh, it was 02. I forgot who the hitter was, but I know he went to UCLA. He was a righty. It was, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 02, first inning. And I remember being like, all right, <laughs> I got four pitches to waste. I got to hit 100 <laughs> here at some point. And I was 02, and I ended up just like kind of having like a note. Just it was pure like let's just throw 100 and it ended up being a strike and I looked up at the board and was like that's pretty cool and I went and talked <laughs> to a pitching coach and it was like I think especially you know in a world now where velo is like the most important thing it was very much for me like a special time so I, I actually remember it very vividly um, and I've tried to hunt it ever since. <laughs> from my from my experience in, in the outfield so I played outfield professionally so I can see all of you guys there's pitchers that don't look there's pitchers that imme immediately turn and look, and then there's those like sneaky guys. They like throw, and then they just kind of like peek. Where, where are you on that? Are you like a big looker? Oh my God. Yeah, it's, I make it like too obvious. <laughs> it's a thing too. It's like, 
I might as well own it. Like, like you said, there's so many pitchers who have their own little formula of like, Ooh, like I want to look, but I don't want everyone to see me looking. I'm like, who cares? Like everyone <laughs> wants to look, just look, who cares? It's not a big deal. Um, and another thing, people don't believe me when I say this, but I've actually had a couple games where like, I think I'm being like, I have my intent and I think I'm throwing hard. And like, I, I look up and it's like 94, 95. So it is sometimes a reminder. Like I think certain games, you can be a little bit more like, tense and whatnot and it's a good reminder to like if you think you're throwing hard and you look up and you're not it's like okay you have a whole nother gear you just got to go out there and, and, and chuck it so it, it kind of does both things for me you're also you know you're on the verge of throwing a hundred at all times like if i'm throwing a hundred i would look all the time i feel like the guys that are like sitting 89 and like muscling up and trying to hit 90 and whipping their head around it's like come on. i mean come on come on man that's true. You're all right. But yeah, you make a good point. That's a strong point. I'd say like, yeah, I guess I only un, like understood it for me personally, but I guess that's true. Like if you are 89, 91 and like you're up there searching for 92s, but honestly, whatever, teach his own, like do what you got to do. Who am I to judge? Yeah. So for example on that, so I actually got two, uh, two outings professionally on the mound. We were both times losing by like 15 runs. So, you know, I, I come into the dugout after an inning and, and our manager goes, can it, like who can throw and every single time I'm like oh me 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 because you know I, I pitched in in college but you know the other Verlander got the got the good arm I you know I don't I don't throw 100 there you go. <laughs> but so in pro ball <laughs> we're playing we're playing the Braves team in, in the Florida State League and I start warming up in the bullpen and I could have sworn that I was throwing 98 it felt like it was 150 I swear I felt great I get out on the field first pitch I throw I like whip my head around as a position player I feel like a loser out there whipping my head around but I turn around and it's like 88 and I'm like okay <laughs> okay that humbled me real quick I ended up hitting I ended up hitting 90 that at bat but you know who it was you know who I ended up facing that at bat because you know position you, you've seen it position players come in and they just they just throw fastballs and it's just whatever I uh I get I get ahead 0-2 and I shake off my catcher and I throw a curveball and I threw, I swear to God, this is the, the best curveball I've thrown in my life. It's down in the zone. It was probably going to bounce in the dirt. And this dude hits a rocket double off the opposite field wall. And I'm like, who is this guy? Turns out it was Ronald Acuna. And I'm like, okay, I don't feel as bad anymore that this guy's hitting lasers on the best pitch I could throw. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, well, that's insane. I wonder what the approach was there to be able to like, get, I guess, I mean, you are a position player pitching. I guess you can kind of like, not sell out on the heater, but I don't know. That is impressive. Uh, I, turn, I mean, turn. I just felt less bad about myself when the. I mean, the guy's like one of the best in the game now. So, so I don't. Yeah, feel exactly. As there bad. You go. <laughs> so, you guys are just coming off of a World Series run. There was a lot of like dance battles going on. You got Brett Phillips on the team. You got Randy Rosarena. There was a big one there. Who, in your opinion, and it could be yourself, might not be. Who, in your opinion, is the best dancer on the Tampa Bay race? Definitely not me. I'm going to go with Brett Phillips. I guess like him and a Rosarena would, would get after a little bit, but like, sorry, Rosie, but I'm going to have to go with Brett Phillips on this one. <laughs> I think he's got some, some good dance moves for sure. <laughs> I love, I love, I love Brett. He's such a great guy. And just, I mean, his laugh, the best laugh in baseball Best dancer on the Rays, we heard it here first from Tyler Glass. Now, best dancer. He's just, he's, he's, a, he's an awesome guy, and I have to imagine he's an awesome teammate, and there's nobody you'd rather see that walk-off in the World Series from than, than it, it happening to him. I, I was so pumped up for him. Yeah, no doubt. He brings the same energy to the field every day. Like, he's just, like, one of the happiest, most, like, just, you know, he just has that energy about him, and, he, and it's consistent every single day. And for him to do it in his hometown – is pretty special it's pretty unbelievable and i think it's so fitting for like playoffs and like the world series just crazy stuff happens and it's almost like someone's up there just writing it out and it's yeah like you said it was just kind of like the perfect scenario for him from that from that world series what is your what's your favorite memory from the 2020 world series the world series is probably going to be brett phillips hit like completely honest like i wouldn't even say like for me I have memories obviously associated with like my personal stuff, but like yeah. looking back hundred percent, the, the Brett Phillips game in, uh, 
that was insane. And then like the postseason in general, uh, I would say the Brasso homer of a Chapman. That's something I will never forget. Like I can vividly put myself in my shoes again in that situation. Like my adrenaline, that being in the dugout, that was the highest my adrenaline got the entire postseason. It was pretty unbelievable. Wait, your adrenaline that entire postseason was the highest when you were in the dugout watching when he hit that homer than when you're when you're out on the mound. It's different. I wouldn't say like I, like the nerves and the adrenaline is different, obviously when I'm pitching, but like the feeling, like what I can call. Like, is like that moment. That's what I remember. And people talk about the World Series of the playoffs. Like that's the moment I think about the most. Brett Phillips and Mike Brasso hitting the homers. Just like watching it in the dugout. It's it's too. It's like you're like a part of history. And I'm sure if I was a part of it, like playing, I would remember those more. But it was those moments for sure for me. So you or no? You you used to use Pharma Bro before your starts to get like angry. This is one of the most fascinating things. That story in itself is insane. But So why Pharma Bro? Why did you used to use Pharma Bro to get angry before your starts? It was, it was very much like something, I think you need to identify for yourself like what gets you going as a baseball player. And I realized for me at a young age, like when I can muster up some sort of anger, it seems to be the emotion that like trumps all the other ones. So I feel like I'm out there just angry and competitive. And those are the two things I like to feel when I'm pitching. So it's not like isolated to pharma, bro. It was very much like I had to find an edge. Like there was something I needed to try and grab onto to like feel those feelings while I'm pitching. Um, and for a good while there, it was pharma, bro. And I, I don't know why, but I remember that was just something I would look up and it would help me. So thanks to him. <laughs> so clearly you still want and need that mindset what what now if it's not farmer bro now what, what is it i think it honestly changes it's like whatever you can can find like whatever you can find to give you that competitive edge is what i'm looking for and i think there's a balance now too like as i get older i'd say my goal is definitely still to feel like angry to find that edge while i'm pitching but it's like there's too much there's always like you want to be in the middle of everything like if you're too high up or too low it's it's not a good mixture but like I said, I want to have that anger, but I also want to have it be like a bit more controlled. I'd say then at like that time in my career, it really, really helped me and I still do it, but maybe not to the degree to which I used to do it. But like, I mean, I still got to find whatever, whatever that day makes me angry. I'm going to try and hunt it. Do you ever try and get mad at like angry at hitters? Like if somebody walking up into the box and you're like, oh, I hate this guy. One time a couple of years ago, he, you know, reached out to my, my girlfriend on Instagram, like screw this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think for me, like, I'm, I give people like the benefit of the doubt too much. Like I, I wouldn't say I personally like can get up there and like hate a hitter. Cause I'm, I'm back in my mind and I'm like, maybe he's nice. Like maybe, I mean, he <laughs> might do well, but maybe he's a good dude. So it's hard for me to like commit to that, but there's definitely stuff you'll tell yourself. Like I'm trying to do whatever I can to find that edge. And it would be like certain times I remember like what, 2019 from the bus ride to the hotel, to the field, like I'd like look out and just see random people and try to like get mad at them. Like just anything, like it really, <laughs> there was no like structure to it. It was just something that I could get before I pitched that would help me. And it it's honestly comes in a bunch of different forms. So, yeah. So you have had a unique experience in that you came up in the National League. You debuted in the National League as a starting pitcher. And then you go over to the American League. So you were in a league that the pitchers hit. And you were in a league that the pitchers do not hit. Where do you stand on this? And did you like hitting? I hope there's always like pitchers hitting. I enjoy it so much. Like in Pittsburgh, that was so much fun. I think too, like in spring, we got to hit all the time. And I think like nobody wants to be a pitcher at the beginning. Like everyone wants to be a pitcher, don't get me wrong. But like, you don't, you grow up like wanting to be a position player. Everyone does. And then if you're not a position player, like you're probably also pitching and then you're a starting pitcher. And then a starting pitcher then sometimes becomes a reliever. But I'd say like the upper echelon, like what every little kid wants to be, is a position player. So for me, when I hit, it's just feeding that like little kid in me. And uh, I did relatively well hitting in 2017 with the Pirates. And I, I, I mean, pitchers get to hit this year too. And we're opening up the series in Miami. So I am ecstatic. Uh -huh. I've been talking to Cash like every day, trying to let me hit. And 
if there's any time I can get into the cage or take BP, like I'm going to jump all over it because it's, it's just a lot of fun because I'm supposed to do bad. It's a win-win. If I go and hit and I suck, good. I'm supposed to. I'm a pitcher. But yeah. if I do well, it's like icing on the cake. So it's kind of how I think of it. Dude, you're so right. That It's all of you guys. All pitchers are the exact same. You all feel, and there's always been this thing like, uh, position players are the real athletes, pitchers aren't athletes, or pitchers are. There, there's something weird with, with pitchers that go on. They always want to get in the cage. They always want to give pointers. They're, they're, they're always, like, talking about their baseball swing. It, you're so right. Every, everybody, when, when you grow up, wants to be, wants to be uh, a hitter. You guys uh, have the top prospect in all of baseball, and Wander Franco. Do you give fans something excited the, something to look forward to with him is—is is he the—is he the real deal? Have, have you had much experience being around him? So this is the first camp. I know he was in camp last year, and he was at the alternate site last year. But this is the first camp I've actually got to see him like play regularly. And I, I mean, the hype is very real in my opinion. Like he's extremely good. I think for his age too, it's incredible. Like how polished he is. Um, really good offense I just think his approach and like his bat to ball skills are pretty next level so I mean I, I would say all the hype's real and I hope he can come up and contribute this year at some point for sure if you if you were commissioner for a day because this whole podcast we're all about we're all about having fun flipping bats swinging 3-0 but if you were commissioner for a day and there's a bunch of rule changes coming to minor league baseball if you were commissioner for a day what is a rule that you would change to grow the game of baseball? I would say, ooh, I don't know how much it's to grow the game, but something I've always thought about, like, if this isn't even, like, tailored to baseball, but, like, being able to listen to a player's pod, like, or not podcast, like, playlist before a game. So, like, before every game, my routine is I'm listening to music probably an hour before my start. And, like, I want, it would be cool if you could have, like, a, if like Spotify or whatever had like a live listening in, like look at what Tyler's listening to on his playlist, blah, blah, blah. And like, he's in the weight room warming up right now. And like, this is what he's doing to get ready for a game. That has always been something I thought would be amazing. Just to try and see like what guys are listening to and like what vibe they try to bring on the field. And you can really tell a lot about a person by the, the like music they listen to. So I think in terms of that, like the individuality of trying to see how different guys are, that would be, cool i think that's a good idea that's a great idea what is on tyler glass now's playlist what's on there it's honestly a, a bit of everything before a game i want to listen to the most hood rap music i possibly can like i'm trying to get in my feels like i'm trying to just feel like i'm a g when i go on the pitch <laughs> but i'd say after like a lot of alternative i like reggae a lot i like funk a lot but like before a game i want like heavy bass like i'll even i'll go like mumble rap it'll be like good new york rap like good lyrical rap and then just more production beat, not so important lyrical stuff. Just whatever I can, I can do to get into my feels. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> the gangster rap on the, I love that. I love it. That's your, that's your pregame routine. That's what gets you angry. It's great. Um, so you have, starting pitchers have a unique, you know, you, know you, you play once every five days. So you're on the front row of the dugout every day watching. Who's a pitcher that you've watched and gotten to experience that you're like, who do you think is the best pitcher you've gotten to experience just for, just from watching? DeGrom, Verlander, Cole, and Scherzer probably are people that I've been able to see firsthand. And I mean, like, that's a pretty cliche answer. It's probably everyone's answer. If you have had the opportunity to see them pitch, like how could you not choose them? So I would say those four for sure. Yeah, those are, those are, yeah. Nobody, nobody's gonna call you out for, for, for choosing those names. They're all, yeah. they're all, they're all pretty good. Um, so one thing since you have come on here that I've been excited to ask you, and this is probably the most important question I'm gonna ask you the entire time you're on here. What do you do to your hair to keep it so pristine? I go. Uh, I have very dry, puffy hair by nature and I'll use like nothing crazy like just whatever the clubhouse has like shampoo wise or like conditioner it's usually like a two for one which I don't really understand how that works the shampoo and a conditioner but I use that and then I use like a uh, just like anything like with oil not oil but like a, a hair like like a leave-in conditioner or something like that something that makes it not so 
like gross and puffy and all that. So I just put like a, a moist, a moistener, if that's the right word. And that's, that's all I do. You're telling me the answer to this hair is the two for one that's in every locker room in America. <laughs> I think it's, it's the most important thing is just the after part, like just wash it and then put some, put some oily type stuff in it. And then usually I already have like curly hair. So I just do that and then I let it go. Wow. I did not, I did not see that answer coming. That's incredible. So that's all, that's all I need is to, to grow my hair out, use whatever is in the locker room and then put in some oily, oily stuff, moisten it up. That's the answer. You Our family's been actually like relatively blessed with some decent hair. Like my brother has long hair. My dad has like had long hair for a, a decent time in his life. And I think I just, yeah, I think he does the same thing too. So. Wow. All right. Before I let you go, we have some questions that, uh, some recurring questions that, that is going to be asked to, to everybody. So I got three questions for you. First, what is your welcome to the big league moment? I would say, I don't know if this is even like that interesting of an answer, but like the first team fight is always insane. Like going on and like when you're a little kid and you imagine what the big leagues are, you imagine like putting a suit on, getting on a flight going to a stadium playing, getting on a flight, going to a stadium and playing. And I think once I did get called up, I was looking forward to a flight, um, just a team flight the most. And then getting on and just like seeing the coaches in the first class and then like walking down and you don't have to uh, buckle your seatbelt on takeoff. Like there's really, it's, <laughs> it's like airlines, but not many rules. So I think that mixed with like, I don't know. They're like getting your drink orders while the plane's taken off. And it just seems like this weird, like, is this supposed to be happening? So you feel <laughs> special and like that you get to break some rules. I'd say that was probably the number one for me. <laughs> um, all right. What is your most memorable moment on the field? Your most memorable play? Uh, I, I would say probably do honestly the first I don't know if this is the most, it'd either be like my first start with the Rays, I'd say just like, especially looking back now at how like meaningful it is to me now coming from the mindset I was in Pittsburgh and then going to the Rays, giving me the confidence that they gave me and then going out and doing well, I think it was against the Angels and I struck out like nine in four innings. And it was just this like overwhelming feeling of like, okay, like I'm good enough to be here. And it wasn't like I was like, I could breathe and like I wasn't stressed anymore, but it was very much like I belong here. So I'd say that sticks out the most for me or, and another, for some weird reason, like I pitched in Cleveland in 2018 too, and pitched really well. It was like a seven inning two hit one run game. And I don't know why that one sticks out so much, but that was another like first time I went out and like really, really shoved. So I think those two starts for me are like the most meaningful. And I'm sure my answer would change. If you asked me 10 years down the road, I'm sure I would have a different answer, but for me, I will ask you 10 years down the road. Great. I will. (laughs) um yeah so you mentioned a couple (laughs) times your your mentality changed when you came over to the Rays. like that was a big thing for you and i know with with myself personally at the plate like once you get to pro ball there it's so like mental like the mental game is what what separates guys like being able to to have confidence and being able to 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 brush off a bad day um, I, I truly believe that so much of professional baseball in a whole is, is your mindset and being able to get to a point where you have that confidence and you, and you feel good about yourself. And it, it, it honestly sounds like the biggest thing for you in your career has been that trade, that, that trade that you were involved in with, with Chris Archer, that, it, that almost brought you the confidence that you needed. Yeah, no doubt, for sure. I just think it was like, and in Pittsburgh's like defense, 100%, they gave me more than enough opportunity. I just never really seized the moment. And I think it was in 2000, and I was in the back end of the bullpen. My velo had gone back up to the to where it was a year prior, but I could just feel that like, I wasn't necessarily being like given up on. I was still in the big leagues and stuff, but I wasn't as, I don't know, like sought after as I once was in the in the minor leagues. So it was, it was like that, it's like someone finally again like believed in me and then me going out and like having success allowed me to like buy into that confidence but i like you said like for anyone in the big leagues the number one thing is like the mental game it's the confidence it's like knowing you belong um and yeah i would say a big thing too is like not like when you first get called up to the big leagues it's you don't want to make anyone angry you don't want to be the new kid who comes up and like 
disrupts anything. So you kind of have this like shell about you. Like you just, you really don't want to anger anybody. And I think I, I let that get the best of me. And, uh, and when you, I went to the Rays, like their clubhouse was very much, not like we had anyone bad in the clubhouse in Pittsburgh. It was always a bunch of good dudes, but it was very much like front office coaches, players, everybody was on the same level. So there was like no traditional hierarchy kind of, it was very much just like a think tank of everybody trying to succeed. And I think that's why Tampa does so well with like the budget they have. It's just like a really good, like nurturing place to come up and develop. So you were traded, as we talked about, to the Rays and that you were involved in a trade with Chris Archer. It sent you to the Rays and Chris Archer to the Pirates. Now, Chris Archer is a teammate of yours in Tampa. So the guy you were originally involved in with the trade is now a teammate of yours. What has that been like for you guys so far? I know it hasn't been too long, but what's that been like? Awesome. I've only heard like amazing things about him. I had never met him and he was obviously with the pirates and I had friends there and they always said good things about him. And, uh, I'm really good friends with Cole Tucker on the pirates and like him and Archer were good friends. So we finally got to, meet, obviously when he got traded for it, we just, I already knew I was going to like him. And then like, I, I met him more. He's, he's like very articulate and like, just, uh, he's just really intelligent and cares a lot about baseball. So I just think it was just like an easy relationship to have in the beginning. And, I mean, like tonight, I'm going to dinner with him tonight. Like, it's just, it's been an easy transition. He's very personable and knows so many of the people in Tampa already that, like, it was just so easy for all of us to kind of get into the same room and mesh. I, a cool story I remember of him, my brother told me this years ago when he was still with Tampa, is just his, like, his mindset when it comes to pitching. Like, he's, a, he's really, really smart and, and always thinking on the mound. And it's got to be nice as as a younger guy to to have him to lean on now um so i'd be interested to to be a fly on the wall at that dinner just you know to hear you guys talk about life and to hear you talk about pitching because from everything i've heard when it comes to to chris archer it's you know he's 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 a he's a pro and and it's cool to talk to him about it yeah undoubtedly and i think that's why i like him so much is that like i like like we'll probably go to dinner and not even talk about baseball. Like he has interests outside of baseball. Like he's not just like a one tunnel, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think a lot of people can get into that. Like when your livelihood is baseball, it's hard to have hobbies outside of it. But like he's gotten to the point where he has so many other interests outside of baseball that like he's so multidimensional in conversation that like there's never a lull or it's just like a good friend to have. It's so it's just very easy to kind of mesh together. And like our yeah. whole clubhouse is like that. So it makes it very easy. All right. What is a moment that sticks out to you off of the field with teammates that you've experienced in your career? Uh, I've got to think of some, some PG ones again. No, yeah, see, we can get to, we can uh, push the limit. We can get to PG 13. <laughs> I really wish I like, yeah, I needed some time like to think about this. I'm trying to think. Honestly, I would say for some reason, most of my good memories are always on flights. It's always like, cause I think nowadays guys, like it's such a competitive game. Like it's not how baseball really like used to be. It's not like everybody after games like goes out and like does a bunch of stuff. It's very much like you, especially at home, like you just, you play baseball, you go home and then you see each other at the field, but like on the road and on the flights, that's when you really get to kind of like yeah. experience what your teammates are like. And I would just say the most fun I ever had, like I've ever had on a team has always been on a team flight. Cause everyone's together. Like, Sometimes you're drinking, sometimes you're not. It's just, it's like that same feeling I talked about before. Everyone, you kind of are in this weird, like, oh, we're in the big leagues on a team flight. And it just kind of, everyone's like guards down. But like a specific story. Ugh, you can get a little sloppy. Yeah, it, ha- it would have to be something like that. Like, I don't know. I'm not giving you any good answers here. Sorry. No, th- things can get a little, things can get a little sloppy on those flights once guy once the, the, the poker <laughs> chips come out, the cards come out, the drinks start flowing. Things can things Definitely. can get sloppy. Yeah, fun times. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, Tyler, I am so pumped. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, good luck in your first start, opening day starter for the Tampa Bay Rays. I am so excited for you. Good luck. And uh, who are you guys playing? We are playing the Marlins, the Citrus Series to open up the series or to open up the season. That's right. You are. You're going to get to hit. So we got some. Yeah. (laughs) Here's what I envision. You're going to punch out 10 and hit a bomb in your opening day start. (laughs) 
I hope. Keep on, keep thinking that so it happens. That's what I, I really want to. <laughs> Honestly, though, if I were to choose, this is a, a dumb answer, but if, if I had to choose between a stolen base and a homer, I'm going to pick homer, but like I want to steal a base extremely bad. I'm relatively fast. I don't know if like, like I'm a pitcher, but like I'm still fast. I think like that that's a goal of mine. I don't know if I'm going to do it in the Citrus Series by any means. I don't think Cash <laughs> would let me, but like those two things I got to get off my bucket list before I die. So hopefully it happens. So if you had to choose between a stolen base and a homer, you would want... <laughs> You'd take the stolen base. Interesting. All right, here, here, let me present I don't to you. Know. See, I said that and I was like, maybe not. What a dumb answer. I, w- I want one of them at some point. I don't care which one comes first. All right, then b- before I let you go, let me ask you this hypothetical question. If you had to choose between keeping your hair, like if you had to shave your head or sacrifice one loss on the mound for you, what would you choose? Oh, I would cut my hair. What do you mean? Like knowing, like I say, like if you cut your hair, you will not lose this game. I'm cutting my hair. It's off. I'll buzz it. I don't care. Like, right. I can grow back. It's fine. <laughs> I respect that answer. All right. All right. So you heard it here first. Well, so now people are, you know, we, we got to keep it under the radar. We need you to get this stolen. Not Maybe not this first series. We need you to get a stolen base this year. I am going to be so pumped for you if you... <laughs> If you get a stolen base this year. You and me both, man. I, I need it to happen. I know Cash would probably kill me and just be pissed, but I might, I might have to chance it. <laughs> are you going head first or feet first in the second base? It's a good question. I feel like if I'm trying to be as optimal as I possibly can, i got to go head first. But that's another, like, if I had one of those little finger Johnsons, I'm going head first. But if not, if, I'm, if there are no finger covers, I'm going to go feet first. You're you're not gonna get. They're not gonna give you a, a finger Johnson to wear on first base when you <laughs> when you hit a single up the middle. Yeah, I you're, don't you're think not, so either. So it looks like I'm going feet first. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for joining me, man. Good luck on your opening day start and good luck this season. Um, I'd love to have you back on. This was a blast, man. We'll have you back on at some point. Um, but good luck this year and thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll come on whenever, man. This is really fun. Thank you. I want to be locked in on race games this year when he's pitching to see if he can get that stolen base. I think it's so funny that he picked <laughs> stealing a base over, over hitting a home run. I'm also really going to be locked in on him this year with the addition of that new pitch. I think he is one of the favorites to win uh, AL Cy Young. That new pitch is going to be a game changer for him. Like he said, he, he's only got two pitches, and, and to add this third... I think it adds a whole new dimension to his game. But I'm really excited. And I'm also really excited that on this podcast, we're going to have a hotline for you to call into, for you to voice your pleasure with your team. What I'm looking forward to is for you to be able to voice your displeasure with your team. But we do have a hotline to call into. We'll be doing it weekly. The number is 213-537-9339. So call in. Leave us some voicemails. And for this first show, we have some lined up and ready to go. I have not yet heard them. So, Rick, hit me with them, baby. Ben, love the show. Another question for you. Who do you think will be the next active MLB player to hit the warehouse at Camden Yards? Oh, the next active player to hit the warehouse. So, it's been done by King Griffey Jr., he did it in a home run derby, so that adds a, a, another dimension. So I think, when I think about this, I, I want to think about teams that are in the AL that are going to play in Baltimore more. Um, a name that immediately comes to mind is Cody Bellinger, but how often is he playing in Baltimore? Uh, you know, Jordan Alvarez comes to mind. His rookie year, the year he won, uh, rookie of the year, actually, he hit a ball at Minute Maid Park that went further than, than any ball that has ever been hit there. The, they turned the seat red, almost like a Ted Williams type thing. It was crushed, and I have no doubt that ball would have hit the warehouse. No doubt. So I think if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with Jordan Alvarez. Let's go with number two. Question number two. Hey, Ben. I had a question for you. I was wondering if you think that Takis Jr. is as good as he's hyped up to be. I'm a little nervous with this big contract that they gave him. Let me know your thoughts. Thanks. 
Yeah, so it is, that is quite the contract they gave him. But t to answer the question, I, I do think so. I, I love Tatis Jr. I love what he means to the game. And even, even if he doesn't have, you know, this sort of start to this contract that everyone's anticipating, I think what's even more important about this deal is, is what it means to the game of baseball. Um, I think it is huge for the game, for growing the game. So already right there, I think this contract is, is super important. And in terms of him, I think the guy's a stud, to be honest with you. I, I think he's electric. I think, I think he embodies what, what this show means, for one. I think the show is, is based off of guys like him. So, and, and I think he is just going to continue. He's so young. He is so young, and he's just going to continue to flourish and get better and better. Um, the guy's got power. The guy plays great defense. The guy steals bases. So I, I think and I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful that this contract ends up being, um, being a blessing for, for the Padres and, and working out well for everybody. What we got next? Hi, Ben. My name is Argenis, and I am a Houston Astros fan from Mexico. My question is, what consequences could there be for the players' performances from playing 60 to 162 games a season? Thanks for listening to my question. Take care. <laughs> I love it, baby. We're already international. Let's go. So the, the question was, you know, the differences between playing a 60-game season and now 162. You know, I, I think for so long, coming up through a system, it's always been... 100 it's always been a lot of games we're used to playing a lot of games we're used to playing over 100 games I think playing 60 was actually an anomaly and kind of made guys change things up in that perspective I think it was different for pitchers I think for hitters last year was different I think this year yes it's a lot more games and I, I think the big thing is you're going to have to take care of your body a little more but this is what guys are used to so I think for the first time this year in a couple of years now, because of the way the season was last year, that we're going to have some sort of normalcy back. And guys are going to get back in routines. And, and, and this is what they're used to. So, so I'm personally excited for 162 games instead of 60. It just feels like we're starting to get back into the flow of things. And yeah, I, I just think the biggest difference for guys is going to be taking care of your body. Because you play, you know, a hundred more games this year, but that, that's the biggest thing. What hey, what's up? I was just wondering what you think about the St. Louis Cardinals. What do you think their record is going to be this year? Thanks. What do I think their record for the St. Louis Cardinals is going to be this year? So let me think about this. So the Cardinals added Arenado, which Arenado is a superstar. You can say what you want about his, you know, how he hits a Coors Field, how he how he hits away from Coors Field. What it comes down to is a, is a lot of hitters hit better at home than on the road. I, I think we're blowing a little too much into the, you know, his, he can only hit at Coors Field. Nolan Arenado is an incredible superstar in this game, and adding him over at third base for the Cardinals is going to be a very welcomed addition to say the least. And pairing him with with Paul Goldschmidt over at first. Um, you know who I'm pumped about for the Cardinals this year is, is Dylan Carlson. This guy's gonna this guy's gonna come on the radar in a in a big big way this year. I think he has rookie of the year potential. I think he's gonna establish himself as as a great player in this game. I think he's gonna come out of the gates hot. You know, I, I went into this offseason thinking the NL Central is just not gonna be very good. But the Cardinals have separated themselves from everybody else. They really have. So when I start thinking of a record, I, I don't think they're, they're in a 100-win team, but they are in a weaker division. You know, they're going to beat up on the Pirates. They're going to beat up on the Reds. You know, I, I think the Brewers could be sneaky good. I think the Cubs are going to, you know, be sneaky good. It kind of depends on what, what way the front office wants to take them. But I have, the, I have them winning, you know, around 90 to 92 games. So let's see. 162, so 90 and 72. I'm going to say 92 and 70 is my prediction with great math. Quick math, by the way. My prediction for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, 
So that is the end of uh, the voicemail questions that we have for today's first episode. But we are going to be doing this weekly, and I, I, I love this. I love these questions. So keep them coming. Again, the number is 213-537-9339. And we're going to be doing this weekly on the show. So call in. Uh, tell me what's making you excited about your team, your pleasure for your team. Tell me what's pissing you off about your team. Voice some displeasure. I'm here for all of it. And I'm excited to answer your questions. So make sure weekly you're calling in and I will answer your questions on the show. Now, maybe you've seen leading up to the season, I've been doing some weekly rankings. We did top offenses, we did top jerseys, we did top stadiums. What better way leading into the year than to rank the top teams? Everything about the team. Offense, defense, pitching, bullpen, all of it. So for the last ranking leading into the season, I wanted to rank the top five teams in all of baseball. And that starts with none other than the Los Angeles Dodgers. This one was a no-brainer for me. It really was. They're by far the most complete team in baseball. To be honest with you, I think there's a little bit of a gap right now between one and, and, and even the number two team on my list. But that's the beauty of baseball. It doesn't shape out that way. Uh, you know, it's hard to win a World Series back-to-back. You know, there could be a World Series hangover for the Dodgers, but in terms of this team, they are the best team in all of baseball. Their offense, I truly believe, as I said in my offensive rankings, I truly believe this team is going to put up some of the best numbers in history of the game. And now they acquired Trevor Bauer. They have one of the best rotations in the game. Um, there are no weaknesses with this team. There really aren't. And, and I don't see, like, I don't see a let-up from them in the future. They have prospects coming up that are going to be there for a long time to come. They have World Series candidates everywhere you look. We did a, we did a graphic with Fox like yesterday, recently, and it involved uh, NL MVP candidates. It had Betts. It had Bellinger. You know who I want on there? Corey Seager. Corey Seager, MVP of the World Series. Uh, look, I, I got Ronald Acuna as my, my uh, MVP prediction, but I kind of want to change it. After watching the spring training this guy has had, I really think he has a good chance to win MVP, as does multiple guys on that team. So by far the most complete team in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, my number one team in the rankings. For number two, I got the New York Yankees. I think the Yankees are just going to out-hit everybody. Their lineup, one through nine, is going to be really, really good. You know, a wild card for them, though, is Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez, we've, we've seen. We've seen flashes of greatness. Um, we've seen him come up and be very, very good. But in the last year, he's really struggled. And I think it just adds a whole new dimension to this team. If, if he can be as good as he appears he can be. But even aside from him, this team, one through nine, is just going to out-hit everybody. They have their issues. They have their issues in the starting rotation. Not a ton of depth. You don't really know what you're going to get out of Corey Kluber. Uh, he's a little older. He's coming off of injury. I like the addition. I really do. Um, but you don't know what you're going to get out of him. You know what you're going to get out of Garrett Cole. He's going to be one of the best pitchers in the American League. You know what you're going to get. But it all comes down to the offense with this team. It really does. They're going to hit more home runs than anybody. They're going to, they're going to bash. The Bronx Bombers are going to do just that. They're going to hit bombs. That's what they're going to do. Um, so, yeah, definitely number two team on my list. Injuries are a big factor with them, though. Let's not forget that. Stanton's a little injury prone. Judge can be injury prone. Some, some other guys as well. So if they can stay healthy, I look for them uh, to, to, to have a good year in the, in the AL East. But, you know, that's a good division this year. So we'll see how that goes. Number two team, New York Yankees. My number three team is the San Diego Padres. Now, the San Diego Padres wouldn't have been in my, my, my top five, maybe not even my top ten but going into last year. But a lot has changed. They added Blake Snell. They added Yu Darvish. I'm very, very excited for this rotation. But the offense, the offense is really good. They have Tatis, who we just talked about. They got the, the mega deal, the mega contract that we talked about in the voicemail that was left. I'm all in on him. I think he's going to be really good and continue to get better. But this offense was really good last year. Really good. Hosmer, Pham, 
Uh, Cronenworth, who's a huge piece in this lineup, they're good. But the, the big thing that, th that is the reason for this jump is the additions to their pitching rotation. Blake Snell, you Darvish, obviously at the top. Chris Paddock is, you know, kind of a wild card in that rotation, though. He, when he came up, had a great year um, and has shown that he can be really good. But he also, he's also struggled a little bit. So I think he adds, he, he adds a whole new dimension to that rotation if he can be good. And they also added Joe Musgrove at the end of the t rotation, who he's not talked about a lot. He's not the, the shining acquisition of the offseason for them. But, you know, when the season's 162 games like it is, you know, those guys at the end of the rotation are really important. You know, you got you, you to lean on them. And, and he's a good back end of that rotation guy to, to bolster to bolster the back end of that rotation. So I have the San Diego Padres with the jump up to the number three team in my rankings, which leads me to number four, the Atlanta Braves. Now, the Braves, if you can imagine, if you can recall, competed with the Dodgers. Uh, they went to a game seven of the NLCS. Uh, this team is really good. They're going to rake. A big difference for me, though, is they got Mike Soroka back. The Braves didn't look like they were the worst team against the Dodgers. I thought the series was, was really good. I thought they, they fought toe-to-toe -to -toe with them that entire series. I thought it looked like a really good matchup of two really good teams. What the Braves didn't have was their best pitcher, Mike Soroka. He's going to be back at some point this year. He's coming off that serious Achilles injury, so we don't know if he'll be the same, but it will be a good piece to get back. He, he's their guy, and they got him back. Um, but the reason I have them at number four behind the Padres, who, who haven't quite proven themselves yet, is the bullpen. They've lost some guys in that bullpen. They, they, they didn't re-sign Shane Green. Melanson's gone. O'Day is gone. And they didn't really bring in the pieces they needed to, I thought, to, to fill that void. Um, so their, their bullpen is, they're going to have to acquire some guys to get back to where they need to be and to compete when it comes playoff time. Because as we know in the playoffs, it's about pitching. It's about having that bullpen. It's about having a good starting rotation. It's about outpitching everybody. So having that bullpen, is, is they're going to miss it. So I really look for them to, to, to lead the way in the NL East and to compete all year. But I think at the All-Star break or at the trade deadline, they're going to add some pieces into that bullpen because they have to. They have to. But other than that, to be honest, I would have the Braves at four or at three instead of four. But solely because of the bullpen, I have them at four. Which leads me to my fifth team in my rankings, the Chicago White Sox. Yes, the White Sox have also made a huge jump. It's not just from the guys they've acquired. They got, you know, Lance Lynn, who's going to be big for that rotation. He's, a, he's, he's huge in terms of putting a guy at the top of the rotation that he had a great year last year. He's throwing great in spring training. It's, it's nice to have that guy there, but they also have Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel. The rotation's good, but it's not the rotation that excites me. It's really not. It's this lineup. It's this lineup led by the reigning MVP, Jose Abreu. They have Luis Robert, who was just dubbed a six-tool player by Frank Thomas. Six-tool player? I've kind of run with that, by the way. I've kind of run with the whole six-tool thing. I've kind of made it like a, like a, like a thing. I'm going to start dubbing guys six-tool players based off of how fun they are to watch, how much fun they're having playing the game of baseball. Luis Robert has fun. He also rakes. He's also really fast. He's also another year older. This guy has been a huge prospect for a long, long time. He's so young, though. And I think this is the year that he takes the world by storm. It's going to be his second full season. Um, so I'm excited to watch them. But top to bottom, this roster is really good. You know, full of vets, full of young guys. Nick Madrigal came up last year in limited time and hit well over 300 in his games. So... He's kind of a dark horse for me for AL Rookie of the Year. Um, but yeah, this team from top to bottom is going to be really, really good. And it may surprise some people having them at number five in my team rankings. But I stand behind that. And, and I really believe they're going to be a good team heading into this season. And that rounds out my top five rankings list. So we've now gone through quite a few rankings. But this one, leading into the season, the top five teams heading into the 2021 season... 
I feel good about it. Let me know in the comments section of this what you think. Am I, where am I wrong? Where am I right? I want to know what you guys think. But I, I personally feel really, really good about it. One through five, I feel like those are the best teams in baseball. But there were some teams that were close. The Mets are close. The Mets are close this year. Um, you know, adding Lindor, adding a lot of pieces that, that were talked about earlier. They, they almost made the cut. And, and the Astros are right there as well. I have the Astros at my seventh best team. Losing Springer hurts. Uh, but they get Jordan back, who won Rookie of the Year. They added Odorizzi, who, who is a big thing in that rotation. So those are two teams that, made the, uh, that, that were close to making the cut. But I, I, I stand by my top five. I feel great about my top five. And that rounds out my rankings list heading into the season. Um, I just wanted to, to, to thank you guys for listening. I wanted to thank Tyler Glass now for joining me. I wanted to thank you guys for, for leaving some voicemails. I'm going to be doing that weekly, by the way. So please, um, call into that number. Again, it is 213-537-9339. So call in, leave some voicemails, um, talk about your team. But I was, I was really excited to get those. So thank you for calling in, those of you that did. Thank you for listening. Again, thank you to Tyler Glass now. And I'm excited about this show. This is the first one, the first one of, ah, oh man. Who knows, Davis? Who knows? Millions. The first of thousands of episodes of this show. So thank you guys for listening in, and I will catch you guys next time. It's a blowout. It's an intent three. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits on a three-hole bench. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is!